0: Okay, hello and welcome to the third in our series of video discussions about uh, COVID capitalism. Uh, We're looking at the ways in which the pandemic crisis and political responses to it tell us something about how power and politics work in a capitalist society and we're also saying something about what we mean by phrases like capitalist society. And uh, as has become habit already at the start of one of these, I like to just clarify what i mean by that term you know capitalism or capitalist i mean uh, capitalism in its simplest definition for me is actually just something that people do it's the practice of trying to generate as much profit possible without any kind of limits and um through the most unrelenting processes you can manage and a capitalist is someone who does that but then the but then when we talk about living in a capitalist society we're really we're talking about living in a society where Most, maybe not all, but most of our powerful institutions, our decisions taken by government, the things done by the people who really get to make decisions in our society are all geared towards that one objective of maximising profit, maximising what economists call the accumulation of capital. Capital just meaning wealth that you can use to make more wealth by reinvesting it. Uh, and today, we're going to talk specifically about the issue of rent and the the nature of rent, why, why rent happens at all, why it matters, because this has obviously been, along with people being worried about unemployment, this has been one of the key issues which has affected people You know, during the pandemic crisis. People who have to pay rent and are struggling to pay their rent are right now on the brink of facing sort of possible evictions in you know, tens or even hundreds of thousands here in the States and in many other places. So we're going to be talking about you know, what how to understand that and maybe what to do about it. So today we're going to be joined by Jacob Mukherjee. Uh, he teaches in the Media, Comms and Cultural Studies Department at, Go- at Goldsmiths and is also one of the long-term organisers and teachers uh, with Demand the Impossible, which is a great sort of uh, education project for young people, uh, offering sort of political education and some experience of organising and activism to people in their late teens and early twenties. Um, which I've done. Uh, I've done a lot of work with as well. Uh, so, hi, Jacob. Welcome.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, so we're going to start. Um, Just well, first, we're just gonna. I think we should just. um, We should just start with the kind of concrete, immediate situation, which is, you know, why you know why did and and move out from there. So Mm -hmm. one of the things the government did um, in response to the onset of the pandemic crisis was to was to uh, put a temporary ban on evictions. So the question is, well, why did they do that? I mean, given why did the Conservative, the Conservative government do that? Uh, and who was affected by it?
1: Yeah, OK. So um, the first thing to say is that um, the eviction ban affects anyone who, who rents. Um, that is, who pays kind of a monthly payment to a landlord of one form or another. Um, and that is about a third of the population in, in the UK. Um, around about 20% of the population are private renters. That means they pay their rent to like a private landlord, someone who owns owns the property or may own many properties. And then about one in 10 of the population live in um, public housing um, or what in in Britain we tend to call social housing, um, which is where either the council, that's the local authority, or or a housing association owns it. So... um, yeah, I mean, the first the first thing to say is that even before COVID nineteen, before the um the crisis caused by COVID nineteen, uh, renters were already really struggling to pay their rent. So about thirty six percent of uh, of renters were struggling to pay rent, um, before the crisis. Sixty one percent of of us, um, I say of us, so I'm private renter myself had had no savings, um, and rents had increased quite substantially. Um, Private rents um, between 2011 and and 2017, so they'd gone up 16%. And in some places, they'd gone up a lot higher. So in Barking and Dagenham, they'd gone up 42%. So people are already struggling. And that that was the case before the crisis even hit. So a lot of people were already vulnerable to being made homeless and being made destitute. Um, Other thing to say is, ordinarily, under... English law, it is very easy to evict private renters. Um, so um, we have something in, in this country, um, and this is in England and Wales, not in Scotland anymore, called no-fault evictions um, under a bit of a law called Section 21 of the Housing Act, which maybe we'll go into a bit later. But what that basically means is that a private landlord can evict a tenant with as, li- as little as two months' notice without having to give any reason whatsoever. Provided they do the whole process properly, um, there's no, there's very little legal defense for the tenants. Um, so because COVID-19 meant basically a temporary economic shutdown, lots of people um, either lost their jobs or had their hours reduced or were on furlough, so who were being paid uh, through government funds but not their full salary. And had the government not done anything, we would have seen um, tens or hundreds of thousands of people being evicted. Um, So, up to half a million people are at risk of eviction at the moment. Um, Around half of those because of COVID-19 rent arrears and another half who already had rent arrears. So what the government did is um, it brought in an eviction ban in March to say that the courts couldn't process any eviction order up until June 23rd. It was then forced to extend that till August 23rd and now it's been forced to extend it till September 20th. during that time, it's worth mentioning. There's been a huge increase in illegal evictions. So landlords getting rid of tenants or trying to get rid of tenants um, uh, through ways outside the law. Um, just to, on, on why, on your question of why they felt pressured to introduce that, I mean, the first thing would be that there would be a, a, obviously a massive impact on the economy if if lots of people were evicted um, and made homeless. Um, local authorities would then have to house them. People would, in having to find a new place to live. Would That would reduce their spending power. So that would deepen the recession that's already coming. The other thing is that I think the government recognized that housing is an area where they're really weak. In 2017, um, basically, the Tories lost their majority in part because private renters um, uh, uh, voted en masse for the Labour Party. And um, uh, that was probably one of the biggest sort of determinants of how people voted was the the kind of housing arrangement that they lived in. Um, So that's why they imposed it. They're committed to lifting it as well um, because, you know, they've got quite deeply in the kind of governments and the Conservative Party's ideologies is this commitment to protecting property rights and the idea that landlords should be able to regain possession of their properties if they want to sell them or or, or do them up or or simply if they don't like the tenants for some reason. Um, so, so that's the situation. You also asked who's, who's uh, affected by it. So I mentioned possibly half a million people are at risk of eviction. Um, these are people from, the interesting thing about people who rent from, from landlords privately is um, these are people from across the income and social spectrums. They're most, you know, disproportionately younger, but um, you will have people who are on housing benefit who are on quite low incomes who are renting privately. And we can talk about why why that is maybe later and there are also people who you know who are graduates um who who may earn you know reasonably well um but who can't afford the very high house prices which is again possibly something we'll we'll get onto so it would be you know this this is an issue which the government does have to be very careful around in terms of the sort of political calculations because there's a broad swathe of society who could be affected by this this uh rent um, rent debt crisis that people are experiencing um, at
0: the moment. Yeah, so you rate, so there's a couple mm. of terms that you mentioned, I think we should uh, yes. define. One is property mm. rights. That's a really important term to uh, understand, because it's, it's one of the key features, actually, of capitalism as a broad social system, going back several hundred years, the idea that well, property, um, above all property and land actually, it gives you sort of absolute exclusive control over the asset which you own. And it, It's always worth people understanding, I think, that that's, that's in, in many ways that's quite a recent invention in sort of human societies that, you know, you go back a few hundred years and, you know, the question of well, who actually, what it even means to own a piece of land is quite complicated And it's not, you know, clearly some people get to benefit from it more than others, clearly some people get more access to it than others, but the idea, well, it's just a thing that one person could own and then they can buy and sell, and if they die, they decide who gets to inherit it. Um that's something that yeah, a lot of economic historians will tell us is pretty much only source of comes into effect in from the 17th century onwards because most human societies would just look at a piece something like land and say, well, it's a fundamental asset, you you know, you, you can't get any God's not making any more of it, everybody needs some access to it, so you can't just go around letting private individuals just own it. Um and it's so it's not just a kind of natural thing. And the other thing is rent. So I mean I've defined property rights. I mean, how would you define rent?
1: Yep. So rent is basically when someone owns something um, and charges someone else to use that thing, charges someone else who needs, party B needs something, party A charges party B to, to use it. Um, uh, and obviously the t- typical example of rent is when someone owns property, property and or land, and they charge someone to live there. Um, I guess the other aspect of rent, which is worth sort of pointing out, is that um you know, housing is something that everyone needs. Everyone needs somewhere to live, um, and so uh, the the person who is letting out, who is renting out the property, has a, a huge amount of power there, um, because of the fact this is one of the sort of basic necessities of life.
0: Yeah. And it's, and it's important, I think, to underscore that rent is also, is a, is a term in, in, economics, which doesn't only apply to like renting property. It is, as you said, any asset that you pay for access to and that doesn't depreciate in value because of your use of it is, is rent. And that, that's quite important to think about because, you know, we're used to the idea you pay for something because you use it. But, you know, when you pay for a chocolate bar and eat it, the chocolate bar is then gone. Whereas if you, when you pay for someone to live in their house, and don't, you know, the, the chocolate bar. The, not only is the house not gone, but under normal historical conditions, the house is worth more when you left, you leave it than when you entered it. So how? Uh, so uh, rents are sort of, you know, sort of catastrophically high, and also. I mean, at some point, I mean, one of the things that changed around, I, I think this is purely sort of anecdotally from memory, you might know better than me, but probably around sort of 2000, is it became the case that you would probably have to pay more in rent than you pay in a mortgage to live in the same property. Which again, is really sort of dramatic and is really sort of insane when you think about it. The idea that you have to pay more to just like borrow a property from someone that you're that is going to just keep increasing in value for them anyway, than you than you have to pay to actually buy it and then own. Is just sort of is just kind of an incredible situation, Mm -hmm. and um, and so the question is: Well, what? You know, the question then is: Well, what? How has that come about? How have we got to a situation in which rents are, say, catastrophically high in cities like London, but not just London? Now in the UK, Mm -hmm. like almost all major cities have seen, you know, really significant increases, and this isn't limited to the UK. You know, you talk to people in New York, you talk to people in Chicago, you know, hear exactly the same story.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just on, um, yeah, you're absolutely right, Jim, on the, the fact that um, private renters now pay more on average than, than people who have a mortgage um, and they pay more than, than people in any other kind of sort of housing situation. Um, and you're right that that's, that's the case uh, across much of the world. So in terms of why why the rent so high, um, I mean, there are a number of factors a number of factors behind why they're particularly high in some places more than others. But I mean, I would say that a key um, development over the last um, 30 or 40 years is basically the privatisation of, of, of housing, of public housing, um, and the move of housing away from um, uh, being uh, a, a, a good um, provided on the basis of need um, to something which became... A source of profit and a source of wealth creation, um, and so that—that's one dynamic. The other thing that it's important to mention is that um, owning a home, and indeed sometimes owning a second home, has become uh, an important source of, um, of financial security for the middle class in Britain and in a lot of other countries. So we've had pensions; the value of pensions, you know, massively decreased. We've seen costs for kind of nursing home care for when you're old increase. Um, we've seen wages kind of not really rise that much, um, uh, and in, for some people they have fallen. And so uh, the the middle class have have been put into the situation where it makes a lot of sense for them to own a home, um, and in men, in some cases um, to own a second home. And that's that's something called asset based welfare, which is where you you pay for your kind of uh, your care your needs your your sort of social needs by by owning an asset typically by owning housing so for example the total housing wealth in the uk between 1980 and 2000 tripled from 2 billion to 6 billion pounds so because of all that you've got um, you've got less public housing so no viable alternative to buying a home um, so you've got this rush of people trying to buy to buy homes, um, which puts an upward pressure on house prices, which have increased tenfold since 1970. Um, And because lots of people, particularly younger people, then can't afford to buy homes, and because there's no public housing or there's a massive shortage of public housing, they're then forced to go for the only thing that they can, uh, the only kind of housing that they can live in, which is privately rented housing. So you've got many people, particularly young people, but not only young people, um, renting privately, uh, because there's a lot of demand there, um, that that puts upward pressure on on rent. So rents rents rise. Um, the other thing it's worth mentioning is to do with the legislation around rents. So it used to be the case between between sort of 1915 and the late 1980s, um, it was very difficult for landlords to increase the rent, right? Um, and then in 1988, the uh, the Thatcher government introduced the 1988 Housing Act. And what that did was it basically allowed landlords to, re- to increase the rent um, by, as much, by an unlimited amount. Um, it also allowed landlords, and this is crucial, to evict tenants um, without having to give any reason, which is something I mentioned before, um, Section 21 or, or no-fault evictions. What that means is if landlords have particular tenants who maybe can't afford particularly high rents, and they see that house prices are rising, they can evict those tenants um, after as little as six months, and they can get tenants who can pay who can pay more rent. So that the ability of landlords to evict tenants more easily also push uh, puts an upwards pressure on rent. But yeah, so in summary, I'd say, yeah, the reason rents have increased so much is because of this move from housing being uh, treated as a public good, which was something something won by um, popular movements, particularly after the Second World War. Um, towards, or I should say, back towards, housing being something which was um, used uh, used to make money, so used for its um, its exchange value, used as a source of wealth. But
0: I sort of think. I mean, I do think. I think that's that last element is a sort of unintended consequence. I think, like no, you, I, I, nobody's ever planned for it. No one, none of the people doing this ever had a plan for. But what do you do when you get to a point where even the children of very affluent, you know, property owners can see, uh, and those property owners themselves can see that they're, however, however valuable their houses are going to be they're not going to be enough to compensate for the fact that their kids you know their multiple children won't be able to afford property of their own and won't even be able to afford to pay the rents. and i think we're now in a situation to some extent where that was something nobody really planned for and nobody Mm. really has a knows what to do about Mm. about
1: yeah i know i definitely agree with that i think that they um uh they for instance with the private rented sector i don't think they ever thought we'd be in a situation where kind of virtually half of um of people under the age of 30 are having to rely on living in in the private rented sector i don't think they thought that would be the case at all um and you know it does it ultimately does sort of harm the conservative project and it really harms capitalism if you've got so for example in london there's there's you know big businesses saying we need to sort out the fact that rent's so high because the problem is that workers particularly younger workers are paying so much in rent they don't have a much much to spend on other consumer goods which you know um is a, a classic sort of problem of capitalism that you know means that profits tend to tend to be reduced over time um and then there's the political cost like because it, yeah as you rightly say part of the reason that um there was this concerted effort to increase home ownership was because it would give people a stake in the system and kind of buy them off but what happens when you have Basically, a whole generation who don't have, who don't, who aren't able to access that stake in the system. Well, they're gonna they're gonna be attracted to other kinds of politics, and we've seen that. You know, I don't think it's any accident that in say the US and Britain, um, where this kind of dynamic of 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 housing privatization has been most advanced, we've seen uh, this massive generational shift um, towards um, like uh, parties and politicians who are challenging um, this kind this form of capitalism.
0: The fact that pro- that landlords have so much power, so much leeway, and that tenants have so few rights uh, in the UK, in particular, is very unusual, even compared to mm. the United States. States, even compared to the United States, it's not normal. It's not normal in the history of Britain, and it's not normal, even you know, when you compare, you know, comparable countries, to have the situation we do we have had since the 1988 Housing Act, where there's no rent controls and, and tenants have so few rights. And that's also one of the reasons why property has become so expensive, because there's so much one reason why, over the course of the 90s, for example, there was such a, an escalation in demand for housing was precisely because people living in the Rented sector had the experience of just having, you know, having to move out of their house on the whim from their landlord, which wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen, say in Germany, which is one reason many people in Germany it's still considered completely normal to rent to be a private renter your whole life. Why? Because you have rights as a tenant, you know, you, you can, you you enter into a contract with a landlord, you know that you have some protection from just being arbitrarily evicted. So it's really important to understand it's completely arbitrary, the, the sort of British system, and it's completely ideological. And I think it's worth sort of reflecting momentarily as well on, on what it does to cities as well, on the fact that you know this situation which we're describing produces a situation in which well, I mean you can say I mean what is the effect on city life of a situation in which really uh, young people increasingly can't even afford to live there and the ones who do live, they don't have any money to spend.
1: Mm. yeah well one one thing is the massive increase in house sharing um so people um in cities like London having well into their 30s having to live in you know houses with lots and lots of other people um, uh, and living in very overcrowded conditions often um, in in houses which uh, are falling apart because that's that's another thing with the sort of rent renting dynamic that we talked about a bit is that um, the person who owns the asset um, if there's a huge demand for that asset they don't really have an incentive to improve the quality of that asset over time so they can let it deteriorate because they know that people would still want to live there so we know that people who live in private rented housing um, have the worst conditions so a quarter of of homes um, that are privately rented don't even meet the government's own very very minimal decent home standards so there'll be things like um your you, you know, leaks, um, I'm just talking about the things I've experienced even recently. So leaks in the ceiling, um, broken appliances, um, drafty houses that are very poorly insulated because the person owning the house has no asset because they don't pay the energy bills. They have no incentive to sort of make it more energy efficient. The other, the other thing, um, and just going back to what you said, Jim, which I think is very important to emphasize, the other thing behind the other consequence of the fact that in England in particular... We have such poor rights as renters is that it makes it very difficult for us to organize and even to complain about our conditions and this could be a nice link to getting on to talking about when you know after this the sort of possible political responses so you mentioned Germany and Sweden in Germany and Sweden renter unions are a very very big part of the landscape and the reason is that so a renter union is is um, something that renters can join and which will um, offer them some kind of insurance against being Uh, having their rights infringed by their landlord. Um, uh, Renter unions um, in Sweden and Germany, they will be quite large and they can even help to sort of negotiate rents with big landlords. Um, So it's a little bit like a trade union in the workplace um, for workers where workers will join a union to give them some collective defence against their bosses, kind of screwing them over. In Germany and Sweden, the reason renter unions are a big thing is because people have much more security. So renters can't just be evicted if they get a bit uppity and they start to kind of campaign for better conditions. It's very difficult for the landlord to evict them. In this country, it's very easy for the landlord to evict people. If you, if, even if you complain about something, um, you know, uh, a repair not being done, um, your landlord can just sort of turn around and say, OK, well, I want you out in that case or have someone who's a bit more docile, a bit more, a bit more passive. So it can be a very, very precarious um, existence. Um, where you you feel very disempowered, it can make you very transitory. So you have to move often um, because you're you know you're con- your your house is in such a state of disrepair, or you get evicted. You have to kind of seek somewhere better or more secure. So people move around a lot, which means it's quite difficult to form a base in the community and to form an attachment to a local area. Um, and so cities kind of become a bit hollowed out, particularly inner cities and in, in places like London, I would say one interesting aspect of it, one well, not so negative a, a aspect of uh, younger people in particular having to rent in-house shares is that it does, I think, create a form of sort of sociality um, because you're having to live with a bunch of people from all kinds of different backgrounds. Um, you're mixing people from different social classes, you come from different countries. Um, it's, it, you know, it tends to make you have a more sort of tolerant and sociable disposition. Um, and, and I think that's maybe a factor in younger people being kind of basically more liberal and progressive is, is, having, is you know, dealing with that experience of diversity um, and in, in urban life. Um, you know, so I've lived with people from Czech Republic, from Slovakia, from Nigeria, from Singapore. Um, uh, and, you know, at least in some ways, that's been an enriching experience, even if other aspects of it haven't been, been so great.
0: I think you talked a bit about you. You you've talked about about the political stuff we can do. I mean, obviously, uh, there are actual renters' unions people can join, like the London Renters' Union, for example. And it's a really important. Maybe you can talk a bit more about that. But maybe you can also comment on the fact that, when in London, for example. Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, who is a, a member of the, who is a Labour politician, but was definitely was very, at great pains to make clear to everybody throughout his tenure that he's not a Corbynite he's not really on the left, has nonetheless said that during the next uh, mayor elections, uh, which I think is next year. um is will he will stand on a platform demanding that the mayor be given the right to impose rent controls in London, which is a huge ideological break. I mean, that is something that the Labour Party wouldn't touch with a barge pole throughout the Blair and Brown years, that, and that even when Ken Livingstone was mayor, they wouldn't didn't want to go near, and that even actually, even sort of the yeah, Ed miliband to leadership of the Labour Party w- would have regarded as too radical. So that, that is a fairly, that is quite a significant moment, I think
1: yeah no I agree so um yes just in terms of of, of political action and you mentioned renter unions yeah if you do get issued with a section 21 there are normally a lot of things that you can do um, rather than just leaving your property um uh, it's not the case that as soon as you get a section 21 you have to leave um, there's a long process which landlords need to follow even after the eviction ban ends and the first thing you know we should encourage people to do is join join your local renter union. Uh, you mentioned the London Renters Union in London. Um, there's uh, an organisation called ACORN, which is all capitals, um, and they operate in seven or eight different cities around, around England, um, including Birmingham, Manchester, Sheffield, Brighton. Um, there's another union called Tenants Union UK, who I think are mainly in Manchester at the moment. And in Scotland, there's a renter union called Living Rent. And these are all organisations that have sort of pro- uh cropped up in the last uh, sort of five or six years. Um, and it's because of the massive increase in the number of people renting and the deterioration in people's conditions. Um, they can do things like um, defend you if your landlord tries to steal your deposit, which is a very common experience, or your letting agency. Um, they, they can um, advise you on your rights. Um, they can even defend you as the bailiffs are coming to evict you if it gets that far. Um, uh, so. Um, they're really valuable organisations to join just for some kind of um, immediate insurance and self defence. They also run political campaigns, right? Because the the key problem I think in England that we need to address is the fact that um, renters have such uh, weak rights that it's difficult even to organise. So I I would say that the first step is to win greater security. So we need to we need to get rid of this thing Section Twenty One, which allows no fault evictions, allows the the landlords to, to kick you out quite easily. Um, because if we have that, that's going to make it much easier for tenants to organise in future for things like rent control, which which Jen mentioned and which I'll, I'll touch on in a sec. Um, the way I like to think about it is renters need to win the right to organise. So workers, for all the, all the fact that workers' rights have been attacked in this country, workers can at least join a union legally um, if they're sacked for their trade union activities they can take their boss to a tri- to an industrial tribunal to court um they get free legal representation from their union all this kind of thing because of how weak our rights are as tenants we don't have anything equivalent to that as renters right we can be affected the equivalent of being sacked is being evicted we can be evicted for our political activities um so we w- once we win the right to organize once we can get greater security that i think will be the basis to win lots of other Lots of other demands in future um the other thing we need to do is think about who actually benefits ultimately from this whole system of of the uh, rentier or, or, or rentier economy um and uh, actually ultimately it is the financial institutions i mean even people on mortgages are effectively paying rent it's a cheaper rent because of low interest rates but they're paying rent to the bank right um, mortgage interest is is a form of rent and so um uh the banks um they give out the loans, so they actually decide the conditions um, upon which the loans are given and so for example um, a number of banks um used to have a, a clause and some still do um in the in the mortgages that they would give the loans they would give to landlords that said you are not allowed to to rent your property to anyone who's on benefits right um uh, and the reason for that is the banks think they won't get their money repaid if the landlord lets to someone who's who's on benefits and um london renters union acorn living rent and a number of other groups um did a campaign around this where they targeted natwest and a couple of other banks natwest in particular and they actually forced natwest to 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 get rid of that policy right to to make it so that they they removed the clause which said that um that uh, landlords couldn't let to those to, to, to tenants who run benefits so that's an example of how targeting the financial institutions um can be a really good way of sort of achieving achieving reform but ending on the sort of le- point about legislation that you made gem i mean yeah the, the opportunity is there to win, win some big reforms here so under corbyn le- the labour party was committed to ending section 21 was committed to rent controls was even committed to kind of seed funding renter unions that is giving some some upfront cash to help renter unions develop, um, and partly because of that, even the Conservative Party was forced to respond. And it was in the Conservative manifesto that the Conservatives would get rid of no fault evictions, right? And as you said, um, thanks to you know um, Sadiq Khan um, being put under pressure by by the renter movement, um, the issue of rent control in London is, is now on the agenda as well, and so. Because renters are now this quite sizable electoral block, because we're getting organized through renter unions and, other, and campaign groups as well, we've got this political clout at this point. Um, and um, you know, I, think, uh, I, I think the politicians realize that. Conservative think tanks are now saying we need to sort out this situation where a whole generation can't access home ownership and a whole generation have turned against us because of because of the way that housing is organized in this country. So, you know, we need to think about how we can mobilize uh, our political power at the level of, of sort of direct action, um, defending people from eviction and, and, and those kinds of things against banks and financial institutions, but also to win, uh, to win legislation, which is going to strengthen our position. It's going to improve our security and, and it's going to give us um, the power to, to kind of escape the, the precarity and improve our, our living situations over the long run
0: okay great um that was really helpful i think there's a uh, there's still there's a lot there's a lot more we could talk about and people watching this will be wondering about especially the issue i think of how we politically uh, we build a political coalition that includes both renters and people who are homeowners who are you know the majority in this country but i think we'll, we're going to have to talk about that um on the live zoom discussion which if people are watching this before september 16th 2020 will happen uh, on september 16th 2020 at 6 p.m um uh, and uh, if you're watching before then then join us for that and uh, thanks very much jacob that was uh, fantastic thanks very much Jen. cheers Thank <laughs>